0: And then I'd like uh, for us to read our passage for today. This morning, if you recall, from the past few weeks, we're picking up our series in Matthew chapter 22, looking at verses 34 through 46. And if you recall from the past two weeks, our journey through the book of Matthew has brought us to the focal point of Jesus' life and ministry, what has come to be known as the Passion Week, the days leading up to Jesus' trials crucifixion and then ultimately his resurrection and as we've seen over the past two weeks the religious authorities have been trying to trap Jesus with a series of questions trying to discredit him or get him to commit blasphemy they've questioned his authority they've questioned him on politics and they've questioned him theologically remember these guys wanted to get rid of Jesus But up to this point, Jesus has answered all of their challenges. And so here today in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 46, we're going to find Jesus' enemies test him yet again with one final question. So I want to begin this morning by reading our passage together today, and I'm going to come back and make some observations about what's going on here. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 22, 34 through 46. If you don't have your Bibles, we're going to have it on the screen behind me. Hearing that, the, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Now, I'd like to make a few observations about what's going on in this passage as we work our way towards the main point of Jesus' teaching here. And the first thing I want to note here is that Jesus is confronted, in verse 35, by an expert in the law. Now, some of your translations may say, lawyer here. Now, this is an interesting description for the person that the Pharisees have sent forward to test Jesus. You see, throughout his Gospel, Matthew most commonly refers to the Jewish experts in the law as scribes. He uses the term scribes. But here, he uses a different word in the original Greek. He uses the word for lawyer. Now, I don't think Matthew has made a mistake here in his choice of words. I think it's very likely that what Matthew is trying to communicate here is that this man was no ordinary scribe. In fact, I think Matthew is intentionally communicating to us that out of all the experts in the law, out of all the scribes, this man stood out. He was the cream of the crop. And so the Pharisees, they're not fooling around here anymore. They've sent in one of their best now to try and trip Jesus up and get him into trouble. And now in verse 36, we come to this expert's question for Jesus. He asks him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now again, some of your translations will use the word, uh, instead of the word teacher, they'll use the word master. Now either way here, the word simply denotes one who is a respected teacher of the law. So I want you to notice the the subtle flattery that this Pharisee uses as he introduces this question. Probably trying to get Jesus to lower his guard by calling him master or, or teacher. But remember, friends, this Pharisee definitely wasn't coming to Jesus looking to be instructed. Remember, verse 35 reveals for us that he was coming to test Jesus. Now, as for the question, and this is the heart of what we'll be looking at this morning, This expert in the law asks Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, the key word in this question from this Pharisee is greatest. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? What's he getting at here? Well, it's very interesting when you understand the background to this question. You see at this time in the Jewish religion, the Jewish experts in the law had taken the laws and commands of God found in the Old Testament. And that's what the word law refers to here. They had taken God's revelation in the Old Testament and they had broken it down into 613 separate laws. 613 laws that they expected people to keep. Now, on top of this... They then divided these 613 laws into two parts. They had the positive laws, 248 positive laws. These were the do this laws. And then they had another 365 negative laws, which were the do not do this laws. Now, as if that wasn't enough, within this division, they created another category. They had light laws and they had heavy laws. Now, the light laws were the laws that they allowed a bit more leniency on. And the heavy laws were the laws that were to be strictly kept. But you see, there was a problem here. You see, the Jewish religious experts couldn't agree on which laws were the light laws and which laws were the heavy laws. And so there was this ongoing debate. Between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the experts in the law, over which law was the greatest. Which were the light laws? Which were the heavy laws? Which law should we keep and hold in higher priority over the others? And so, friends, what you need to understand is within this question, what appears to be this simple question to Jesus which is the greatest commandment in the law? What is really wrapped up in this are all of these crazy and convoluted rules and definitions that the Pharisees had created out of God's Old Testament revelation. See, the Pharisees are really trying to get Jesus to weigh in on their in-house debate by asking Him a question that they themselves couldn't even agree on. They're hoping that Jesus will either say something controversial about the law or possibly set Himself up as a greater authority than the law. And again, their ultimate goal here is to discredit Jesus, if he were to give some ridiculous answer, or just get rid of him outright, if he were to commit blasphemy by claiming to be an authority greater than the law. Either way, the Pharisees would be happy. But make no mistake, friends, this was no simple question they were asking Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus gives a masterful reply. But remember, Jesus was not simply a great interpreter of the law. Who was Jesus? He was the author of the law, right? I mean, friends, this is comical. Okay? Here, are these Jewish experts in the law come to Jesus, who is God in human flesh, and they're asking him to comment on which of his laws is the greatest. As if they're going to try to trip him up or something, right? I mean, how ridiculous. In reply to this expert in the law. Jesus gives the true expert's answer. He declares that the greatest commandment in the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then Jesus goes one step further and he adds, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He then concludes his reply by stating that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, I think it's important that we fully grasp the profound nature and full implication of what Jesus has just said here. You know, I think for many of us, the temptation with this passage is to initially read this response by Jesus and think something like, "Ah, now isn't that nice? Jesus has just stripped away all the rules and regulations of the Pharisees. And we read these two commands that we're left with as if they're these cute little bumper sticker statements about Christianity. Love God and love others. As if Jesus has just simplified the moral requirements of God. And then we thumb our noses at the rest of God's law, assuming that Jesus has just made it all irrelevant. But friends, that's not at all what Jesus says here. Friends, what has Jesus done? Jesus has taken the law of God, the Torah, the Ten Commandments, the writings of the prophets. He's taken the law of God and He's boiled it down to its essence. And He says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In other words, love Him with your full being. Everything about you. And then love your neighbor as you love Yourself, And Jesus says, this is the essence. This is the core. This is what it's all about. And while Jesus may have stripped away 600 some do's and don'ts of the Pharisees, His revelation of the essence of God's law was not about liberating anyone from the law, No, in revealing the essence of the law, Jesus is simply making the guilt of sinful man all the more obvious. You see, the Pharisees had been able to hide behind all of their interpretations of the law, creating a false sense of righteousness with their lists of do's and don'ts, with their heavy laws and their light laws, and all their outer works of legalism. But all the while, they were ignoring the sin in their hearts, and their true guilt under the law. But now, Jesus has just stripped all that stuff away. And He says, no! It's all about this! Loving God and loving others fully, totally, completely, with your whole being! And friends, who has ever done that? Who could ever do that? You see, what we need to understand here and what the Pharisees failed to recognize is the true purpose of the law. And this is what Jesus is getting at here and why His answer is so powerful. What was the purpose of the law? The law, friends, was never given as an instrument of salvation. The law was given specifically to reveal our sin. And our need for a Savior. The Apostle Paul explains it this way in Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Paul echoes this point in Romans chapter 7 verse 7 where he says, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. You see friends, through the law we become conscious of our sin. And what Paul points out here in Romans chapter 3 is that the law cannot save anybody. The law Is simply a tool that points out our greater problem. You know, it's sort of like when you go to the dentist. How many of you have ever been to the dentist? All right? I want to do a little, uh, take you on a little uh, illustration with me. I got my friend Matt Struve here today. If you don't know Matt, Matt's one of our local dentists here in Lindstrom, dentist extraordinaire. Uh, He's my personal dentist. And uh, and I've got my friend Matt here. He's going to do a little exam on me. To uh, to help me illustrate this point of how the law was never intended as a instrument for our salvation. Now, now Matt, uh, you're going to do a quick little exam here. Am, I, am I right? Okay. Yep. Now, uh, by the way, friends, I'm probably saving about 50 bucks by having this done. <laughs> That'd be good for six months. Uh, I, I got to figure out who I'm going to invite up next week when I <laughs> preach. You know, maybe uh, any mechanics out there? I got a car. I got. Now. Uh, Explain to us what do you got here, and what are you doing with this well, thing? Well, I have a mirror, and the mirror helps me see your teeth, and so that I can, uh, uh, you know, look for decay or anything. And your teeth are looking pretty good, but there's a couple spots we might need to take a look at here. Uh, okay. <laughs> now, um, all right. So you found a couple spots. Can you do something about that for me here uh, this morning? Not right here. All I have is this mirror. What do you mean? You're a dentist. You can't do anything for me here? Well, I can have you come to my office and I can do something Well, can't you just use the little, uh, the little mirror thing you got? No, it just shows me what's, the, what's there. Okay. Um, well, thank you for, uh, thanks for nothing. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Hey, give my friend Matt a hand here. <clears throat> Looks like I'm going to have to go into the office sometime later this week. And... Now, you see, friends, the dentist's mirror can point out the problem. But the mirror itself cannot fix me. And you see, now I've got a real problem. What am I going to do about this decayed tooth i got here? And you see, the same thing happens to us spiritually when God's law confronts us and reveals the sin in our lives. Dr. Earl Rodmacher, in his excellent book, Salvation, Commenting on the role of the law, he says this, The law of Moses was not a means of deliverance from the penalty of sin. The law was given that mankind might have a vivid picture of the character of God and how far short we fall. And so, do you see what Jesus has done here in our passage today? Jesus has just cut right to the heart of the law. And he says, this is what God wants from us. He wants us to love Him fully with our entire being. And He wants us to love others as much as we love ourselves. This is what it's all about. And all the rest of your 613-some laws, they all hang on these two commands. Now friends, I want to jump ahead for a minute and point out how this passage ends. Look at verse 46. What does verse 46 say? says, no one could say a word in reply. From that day on, no one dared ask him any more questions. What's happened here? Friends, Jesus has just silenced these guys. Totally silenced these guys. Why? Because he's just confronted them with the heart of God's law. And for the very first time in their lives, they're realizing just how pathetically short they fall when they look at God's standards. It's like Paul said in Romans 3.19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced. Jesus, like that ray of light that shines into the room and reveals the dust in the air, Jesus has just confronted the Pharisees with the light of God's law, revealing their sin, revealing their guilt under the law, and there's absolutely nothing they can say. They're guilty and they know it. Friends, you remember that song I played earlier? I fought the law and the law won. Do you get it now? Friends, the law wins. The law wins. Anytime we match even the best of ourselves up against the standard of God's law, the law wins. Jesus has revealed for us here the essence of God's law. Love Him fully. And love others as ourselves. And friends, if we're going to be honest about it, if this is God's standard of righteousness, we're all in trouble. You know, think about it. Who among us here today can say that they've faithfully kept these two commands? Who? What's that? Silence. Just like the Pharisees. See, you're all a bunch of sinners. Me too. It's like Paul said in Romans 3.10, there is no one righteous, not even one. Friends, if these two commandments are God's standard of righteousness, we're in big trouble. So what do we do? Well, friends, there's nothing we can do. The law is like this giant, oppressive weight. And we can fight it, but ultimately the law crushes us all because of our sin. In Romans 3.23, the Apostle Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 8, 7, and 8, he declares the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. And ultimately, Paul says in Romans six twenty three that the wages of our sin is death. And friends, there's nothing we can do about it. Not if we're relying on our own efforts. A few years ago, I used to do quite a bit of weightlifting back before I had kids. <laughs> and uh, one day I was working out at a health club that my parents belonged to back in my hometown of Eden Prairie, and uh, and I was really pushing myself. I had been doing bench presses all day, and uh, I had been progressively adding more and more weight as my workout went on. And, uh, and I was totally wiped out after bench pressing for about an hour, and I was about ready to wrap up when all of a sudden... Todd Stusey from the Minnesota Vikings comes in and sits down on the bench right next to me. Okay, Now, as you guys know, I'm no Vikings fan, right? But uh, but Todd Stusey, he was one of the best offensive linemen in football during his playing days. In fact, he went to the Pro Bowl. The guy was a great offensive tackle for the Minnesota Vikings. And I'm thinking, hey, this is very cool. I'm sitting here lifting weights next to Todd Stusey. So I figured I'd stick around a bit longer and show him a thing or two about how to bench press, Right? <laughs> And, uh, so I sat back down on my, uh, on my bench and, uh, I thought, you know, I'm gonna show them how us Packer fans do it. And, uh, so, so thinking I was gonna be really cool, I, I loaded my bar up with four 45 pound weights. Two on each side. So that's, uh, that's 180 pounds plus the bar which weighs another 45 pounds. So I have 225 pounds on this bar and I had already been lifting weights for an hour that day. Right? So, I lay down on the weight uh, on the bench to uh, show off to Todd Stucy and I lift the bar off of its support, and I slowly lower it down, and it gets to the bottom of my chest, and with this huge surge of power, I push that weight up. I said I push that weight up, friends. I had nothing. I was absolutely stuck and I had this 225 pound weight crushing my chest and I'm sitting here looking around thinking oh great what am I going to do well all of a sudden I see this huge hulk of a man standing over me and it's Todd Stussy and he looks down at me and he says hey you need some help with that and so sheepishly I just said yes please and I kid you not in one quick move. Todd Stusey reaches down and he just whips that weight off of me like it wasn't even there. I mean, he just whipped that weight off like it was nothing. And he says, You okay, son? And I said, Yeah, I'm okay. And I said, uh, Hey, thank you very much. And I quickly made my way back to the locker room with my tail between my legs. You see, friends, the law is like this unbearable weight that we just can't move. And we can fight it. We can try real hard. And we can do our very best. But in the end, the standard of God's law reveals just how weak we truly are because of our sin. And just like I needed Todd Stucey to rescue me from that 225-pound bar that was crushing my chest, the only thing that can free us from the burden of God's law is if one greater than us removes this burden from us. And friends, this is what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law and He became the perfect sacrifice for our sins. You see, friends, Jesus Christ was no ordinary man. Jesus Christ was the God-man. He was fully God and fully man. And this is what Jesus is getting at here when He asked the Pharisees this question in verses 42-46. through Whose Son is the Christ? See, Jesus was trying to get the Pharisees to question their assumption that the Messiah was going to be a mere man, a descendant of King David, a political Savior. But Jesus was no ordinary man. He was the God-man. And as God, Jesus was without sin and was therefore able to fully uphold all the righteous requirements of the law. As man... Jesus experienced all the trials, temptations, and emotions that all of us know. In His humanity, He could relate to us in every way. Yet in His deity, He knew no sin and perfectly fulfilled the essence of God's law that the rest of us crumble under. And because Jesus was the God-man, the perfect representative for humanity, He therefore became the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And this is why Jesus came into the world. He came to provide the means for our salvation through His shed blood on the cross. Paul describes what the God man has done for us in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. Paul further explains in Romans 8, 1-4, "...therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus." because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. See, friends, all of us are guilty by the standard of God's law. But Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law, and He became the perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. And you know why He did this? You know why? He did it because He loves you. He did it because He loves you. And so He went to the cross and He gave His life as a sacrifice for sin in our place. And He lifted the burden of our guilt under the law. Friends, the song we heard earlier is absolutely correct. I fought the law and the law won. However, the good news is this. I'm not dependent upon my fight anymore. You see, Jesus Christ fought the law for me. And He won. He won. And the most amazing aspect of the Gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us is this. It is a free gift. It's a free gift. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ and confesses Him as the Lord of their lives will be saved. The Apostle Paul describes how we can receive this gift of salvation in Romans chapter 10. Starting in verse 4, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. He goes on in verses 9-11, through If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never, never be put to shame. Friends, that's it. When we trust in Christ, when we confess him as Lord, and believe that he really is the risen Messiah, we will be forgiven. And we will not be put to shame. So let me ask you a question this morning. Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Or are you still fighting the law in your own power? Without Christ, friend, the law wins. With Christ, you will be saved. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank You for what You've done for us. We thank You, Lord, for coming into this world and fulfilling all of the righteous requirements of Your law so that You might be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Lord, You've given us these commands to show us who You are. Show us how marvelous and holy You are and just how far short we fall when compared to your standards. But God, we thank you that you have not left us crushed by the weight of the law under this oppressive burden, that you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to provide forgiveness for us, to liberate us from the burden of the law, to save us from our sins. And we thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, if there's anybody here this morning who has never received that gift of salvation, that liberation that comes through receiving that gift of salvation through Your shed blood on the cross. Lord, if there's anybody here who is still under the weight of the law, and they know they're guilty in Your eyes under Your law, they've never lived up to those standards and they never could. Lord, if there's anybody here today who has not received the gift of salvation, I pray right here, right now, That they might turn their hearts to you. That they might confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that you are the risen Lord, the Savior of our sins. That they might pray a silent prayer right there in the quiet of their own hearts and ask you to forgive them and tell you that they want to make you Lord of their life. Lord, you promise us that you will forgive us, that you will change us, you'll wash away our sins and make us a new creation. You tell us in John chapter 1 that you give us the right to be called children of God through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that promise, Lord. God, I pray that everybody here today would walk out of here knowing that they've been forgiven, they've been freed from the burden of the law. We praise you, Jesus in your precious name.